Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. Well, we're in the last sermon of this series, Welcome Home, this week on our uh, mission and values as a church. And so the, the value that we're looking at this week is everyone equipped. It builds on last week's uh, value of diverse community. We talked about a diverse diversity of, of every kind and every sort within the church, but particularly of our giftedness and our ability to serve. And so this week we uh, expand on that as we talk about the equipping of the saints, the equipping of people who are gathered in the church to serve the body of Christ and the community. Uh, and so Terry's going to come and he's going to read Ephesians 4, 7 to 16 for us. Good morning. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from him, The whole body fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Praise be to God. All right. You ever been on a really great team? A really good team? It could be a sports team. It could be a work team. Uh, It could be a church team. If you've ever been a part of a really great team where everybody does their part flawlessly, everybody just just does it in the way that only they can, and you come together and you work as one unit, you know that there's nothing in the world like that feeling. Right? Whether you're on a team and, you know, if, if you're on a sports team, say, you go to games and some days, you know, not everybody's on their game, not everybody's, everybody's up to snuff, and you just, you can feel the dysfunction in the team. Things just aren't working together quite right. And, and you lose, or you just don't perform up to snuff. And then you go into those other games where everybody is just on, and everybody's clicking together, and you're communicating with one another, and you're doing your part, and, and you win the game, or you win whatever competition you're in, because you were just so gelled. And I'll tell you what, if you go into a game like that with a team, and even if you don't win, just the fact of feeling like everybody was on and doing their thing and knew what they were doing and you were unified, it, it softens the loss even. Because then you know, like, we really did our absolute best. Like, there is there was nothing else we could have done because everybody was on. Everybody was doing their part, man. It, we clicked today. 
I've been on a few teams like that in my life. I played sports in high school until I blew my ACL. Um, but it's going to sound really weird, but one of the best teams on like that I ever was on was my very first job at McDonald's. My first five years of working, from age 15 to 20, I worked for McDonald's. And man, you know, we were a crazy mix of, of teenagers who just didn't care and just wanted to make a buck. And, you know, lifelong people who had worked there and they'd given their lives to McDonald's and everything in between. And, you know, particularly on Saturday mornings, we would get insanely busy. And we were very near the high school football stadium. So if there was a football game, we were nuts. I mean, we were just filled up. You know, we looked like in and out in the first months that it was open. There's cars lined up down the main street as people are trying to get their McDonald's breakfast before they go to the stadium for a morning game. And it, there were mornings, though, when everybody was just on. You ever seen the movie The Founder? I don't know if I'll recommend it to you, but it's about Ray Kroc, the guy who founded what became McDonald's as we know it. And he actually stole it from two guys in California who had come up with this, this plan. They had applied the principles of the assembly line from Ford to making food. And so they were the pioneers of fast food. And Ray Kroc goes in to, to visit the very first McDonald's restaurant and he sees this assembly line working and it's all just everybody's in their thing and it's all timed and they're just cranking things out. That was how it felt on the Saturday mornings when we were on as a team. Everybody was doing their part. Nobody was lazing off. And we would serve thousands and thousands of people and just keep them rolling and keep them moving through. And as silly as it seems, you left that morning with a real sense of accomplishment. Yeah, I served a bunch of people really bad food. But we did it efficiently and we felt good about it, okay? <laughs> when you're on a team that works well together, it almost doesn't even matter what you're doing. The fact that you're doing it together and you're doing it well is enough. The other teams that I've worked on have mostly been within the church. I grew up in a church that people just served. We were all there. I was there four or five days a week doing something. Not even because I cared as much about what we were doing as I did the people I was doing it with. And then I knew when I got there, I was here with my family and we were giving and we were loving and we were doing it together and we worked as a team and we relied on one another and we knew that, you know, I'm not perfect the way that I am. I don't have every gift, but when I get together with other people who are gifted in ways that complement my gifts, oh my gosh, the sense of accomplishment and purpose was there. That's how it's to be within the church. That's what this text is pointing us to. That sense of unity and accomplishment and purpose. You could put together a team of people who don't actually like one another very much, but if everybody's doing their job well and they're on their game, at the end, they'll feel a sense of community and caring for one another, even if they didn't like the individuals when they first got together. That's what working together does for us. It creates a sense of community and of bonding. It creates a sense of shared purpose and shared meaning. And that's what the church should be for every follower of Jesus. The church is our family. It's our team with whom we unite to accomplish the purposes of Jesus in the world. 
Only when we unite with this team, it matters so much what we are doing. It gives us so much more depth and meaning to know that what we are doing is the most important work in the world because it is about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, transforming hearts and communities, transforming the world into what God always intended it to be. What greater purpose is there in the world? What greater purpose could you give your life to? What greater purpose could this team unite around than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed and seeing the kind of transformation that only he can bring? That's why we exist. That's why this family, this team called the church is here. And that's what Paul is pointing us to here in Ephesians. You know, you got this guy, Paul, this apostle Paul. He was called by Jesus. You might have heard the story of Paul. Paul was a guy called a Pharisee. He was a religious Jewish guy who was a leader. He was a rabbi. And when this thing called the church, Christians, started popping up in Jerusalem, Paul said, no, this is bad news. His name was Saul then. And he said, no, this is bad news. And so he would gather his people and he would go and, and find these followers of Jesus and he would condemn them. And they would be stoned. The very first time we meet the Saul, he's, it's in the book of Acts, and he's got orders from his superiors to go to a city and find all the Christians there and round them up. And they find this guy named Stephen, Stephen, who is bold, Stephen, who's preaching the gospel of Jesus in a public place. And Paul's guys surround Stephen. Paul's not even, Saul's not even part of the posse right now. He's kind of back to the side watching what's happening. And his guys surround Stephen and they hold trial with Stephen right there. And Stephen preaches the gospel of Jesus. He preaches the good news. And so all of these guys of Saul's pick up stones and they stone Stephen to death. And we're told that Saul's standing to the side approving of what's happening. And Saul takes up his, his group and he's going to another city. And on his way to another city, on the way to Damascus, Paul, Saul meets this blinding light. And out of this light speaks the voice of Jesus. And this voice says, Saul, you've persecuted me. In persecuting my people, you've been persecuting me. But don't worry, Saul. I'm not going to strike you dead. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to do to you what you have done to my people. Instead, Saul, I'm going to make you my mouthpiece. And you're going to suffer as you share the good news of my story. You're going to suffer as you share my gospel with the world. But I'm going to make you my mouthpiece. I'm not going to destroy you, Saul. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to do for you what you refuse to do for my people. I'm going to give you a chance to be mine, Jesus says. And he sends him on to Damascus and Saul's name gets changed to Paul and Paul becomes the most prolific church planter and missionary in the history of the early church. And as he goes to these places and he plants these churches, he ends up in a city called Ephesus, probably where he spent the most time helping to build a church and get this church going. And then he's got to leave. And after he leaves, some stuff comes up in Ephesus as it does in all churches some strife, some, some disagreement, some disunity comes up. And so Paul's got to write a letter to them, affirming all the good and confronting all the things that would disunify them. And that's where we get the letter. In fact, that's where we get all the letters of the New Testament that Paul writes. It's all Paul writing to these churches that are in some kind of turmoil, in some kind of disunity, or need some kind of encouragement 
And so he's addressing the things that they need to work on, affirming the things that are good, and giving them a path forward. And so here in Ephesians 4, Paul is letting them know why God has gifted every single person in their congregation with gifts to serve. So you got people in the church, even back in this day, people come into the church and they're basically consumers. They come in, they get their spiritual fix, they get their spiritual high, they get what they need for the moment, and then they go about their lives. And they take and they take and they take and they take, and they don't give back. They don't serve the community. They're not really family members. You know that in a family, everybody has a role. Everybody has something, right? Even the smallest children have a purpose and a duty within the family. If you meet a family where the kids have no purpose and no duty, they have no discipline, and the family really falls apart. The kids are running the show. We've seen these families before. It's our duty as parents, it's our duty as family members to help our children grow in maturity and to grow in discipline. And as we do that, we unify our family together. In a family, everybody has a role. You don't say anybody's worthless. Everybody has some duty within a family. And here in Ephesus, in this church, it's no different. In this family called the church, everybody's got a duty. Everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a purpose. There's no one worthless in the church. Some of you need to really believe that right now about yourselves, and some of you really need to believe that about other people. Because you've thought, I'm worthless. There's really nothing I have to bring to the table. There's nothing that anybody can benefit from me. You've got such a low view of yourself that you don't think there's anything you can contribute. Or you've got such a low view of others that you think if, it, if it's going to get done, you've got to do it. No one else could. And so you need to reorient yourself and realize that every single member of Christ's family is important, is worthwhile, has something to contribute. You are important. You're worthwhile. You have something to contribute. Just as we said last week, God created you, you, uniquely you, to serve him in only the way that you can. And we need you. We need your personality. We need your background. We need Everything that God has made you to be in order to be a fully formed family, fulfilling the mission of Jesus. And so Paul is affirming, look, God has given you gifts. And that's where he begins here in Ephesians 4, 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Now, if you fully understood every word of that, please come talk to me afterward because you're preaching next week. This is like one of the most confusing couple of verses in all of the New Testament. In fact, scholars are totally disagreed on what all of this means. But the one place we can be unified on, the one thing we can know, is that what Paul is drawing attention to here is that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. And when he did, he gave gifts to his people. He gave us primarily the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I don't think that's what's on view here. I don't think Paul means that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave us only the Holy Spirit. I think he's being more particular than that. 
You see, Jesus back in John 14 to 17 said, I've got to go away. I've got to be crucified. But when I rise, I will send you the Holy Spirit. It's actually good I'm going away because then I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you God's very spirit to live in you and to equip you and to move you into unity. And so that's absolutely an aspect of what Paul is talking about here. But it goes further than that. I think when Paul says Jesus gave gifts to the people of God, he means more than the Holy Spirit. And he's going to spell that out here now in the next verses, in verse 11. And he himself, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So here, Paul describes the gifts that Jesus gave. Now, I want to I make a distinction here because it's easy for them, those of us who are in church leadership to say, yes, we are God's gift to the church. Therefore, you should submit to us, right? I am not God's gift to the church, right? We individually are not God's gift to the church. What he's saying is, That Jesus gave the gifts of these abilities, the gifts of these roles, the gifts of these positions to the church, of apostleship, of prophets, of evangelism, of pastors and teachers. He gave these gifts to people to lead God's people to help them to learn how to serve within the church. And so we got to understand what these roles are. He gave some to be apostles. Now, we got to distinguish between capital A apostles, which are the original apostles of the church, the 12 guys that Jesus led, plus Paul. And then we've got to make a distinction between the apostolic gift. Now, the role of apostle, as, as Jesus declared it, that's done. There were only so many of those. Those were limited to the people who knew Jesus personally, who saw him face to face, and who were called and sent specifically by him. But that doesn't mean that the gift of being an apostle has gone away. We call this the apostolic gifting. Now, apostle is a a crazy word that you don't hear outside of the church today. Apostle is really just a Greek word that means one who is sent. And so we describe the gifting of the apostle today as one who goes. They go from one culture, they go from where they are, from where they were born, from who they were made, and they go out to a people who are different from them with the good news of Jesus. These are the visionary leaders of the church. These are the people who who have a burden and a calling to those who don't know Jesus, who are different from themselves. They are called to go out to be sent by Jesus and by the church. And then prophets. Now, this is one word that really gets mangled in our current world because anytime you read the word prophet, you assume it means someone who tells the future, which is not what a prophet is. Prophecy involves both forthtelling and foretelling. Now, when we say forthtelling, what we mean is that a prophet is one who speaks the words of God. They speak words that God has prompted them to speak on his behalf. And so a prophet can be one who speaks the scripture at God's instruction. God says, speak this word of my, of my word, speak this word of, of scripture to someone. And that's prophecy. It's prophetically speaking God's word into a situation or to a person at God's prompting. But it can also involve foretelling because anytime you speak the word of God, anytime you speak what God is saying, there can be an element of of foretelling, of telling the future. That's lesser than foretelling. 
That's the secondary meaning of prophecy. And so in the Old Testament, you see prophets speaking all the time. Most of the time when a prophet speaks in the Old Testament, it's not foretelling the future. It's telling the people, God is really angry with you because you're disobeying him. And therefore, you need to do this, this, and this. And then the foretelling part comes when if you don't do this, this, or this, then God is going to punish you. Or God is going to exile you. Or God is going to, to take action if you fail to follow him faithfully. That's usually where the foretelling part of prophecy comes in. It's just a prediction of what's going to happen if you don't faithfully follow God. If you don't obey him and listen to him. And so there can be an element of that. But God, Jesus has given us apostles, people who are sent out to bring the good news of Jesus to people who are different from themselves. The office of prophet, those who speak the word of God at the prompting of God. And then we've got evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Evangelists are those who are called to share the good news of Jesus, to speak the good news of Jesus everywhere, to everybody. We don't all have the gift of evangelism. If you've ever felt guilty because you don't evangelize enough, it's probably okay because you probably don't have the gifting of being an evangelist. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to speak the good news of Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to rep Jesus in everything you do. But what it does mean is you might not be gifted for that particular role to be an evangelist all the time in all places. He's given us the gift of evangelism. In the ancient world, in this world that Paul is writing, uh, there were evangelists that weren't Christian. You had these these people who would go from town to town, runners declaring the good news that the emperor had won this or that victory or that this or that law had been passed and so it's good news for the people. Evangelism is simply speaking the good news. And in this world, speaking the good news usually meant speaking the good news of something that the empire of Rome was doing. And so the church gets to repurpose this word and say, no, 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 it's not about what Rome is doing, it's about what Jesus is doing. The good news is not about what the state is doing. The good news is not about what's happening in the world. The good news is not about what this or that entity or organization is doing. The good news is about what Jesus has done and continues to do through his church. That's what evangelists are. And then we've got pastors and teachers. Pastors are those who shepherd the flock of God. They love the people. They care for the people. They shepherd them and help them to grow into relationship with Jesus and into being more like Jesus. And then you got teachers who teach the word of God. And those two kind of overlap sometimes and they don't overlap other times. You can think of seminary professors as teachers who might not necessarily be shepherds. I've had a lot of seminary professors who would not be good pastors. You don't want them as shepherds, sorry. And they recognize that. They're like, I'm good in an academic setting, but don't put me in a church. So sometimes those overlap. A lot of times they do. Pastors necessarily have to teach, but not all teachers are pastors. So Paul is saying, look, he's given you these roles. And and you'd be tempted if you're listening to this or you're in the church in Ephesus to say, great, I'm not any of those things, so I don't have to do anything. You know, like I can just sit here and absorb and enjoy and get what I need. And then I get to go my merry way because I'm not one of these people. And then Paul drops a bomb on you. And he says, he gave us those in order to build up the body of Christ to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know who the saints are? Everybody who follows Jesus. Every single person who has been 
who has been uh, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, every single person who has the Holy Spirit living within them, every single person who's given their life to Jesus Christ, had their sins forgiven, and is living new life in Jesus, is a saint. There's not a special category. There's not a special class. None of us are above the others. None of us are more holy than others because our holiness rests entirely on Jesus, not on ourselves. Which means if you're in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. You are a holy one, just as you are right now. Without any work, you are a saint. Which means that those of us who are called to leadership, those of us who receive these particular gifts from Jesus, our job is to equip you to know how to serve the church and the world. And so if you listen to those five categories and you're like, that's not me, thank you, Jesus, just know that my job is to help you figure out how you're gifted to serve and to love and to give and to do for Jesus. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, there is not a moment of your life that you are not representing him. If you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of what stickers you have on your car or what kind of decor you have in your house, or what kind of public declaration you've made, there's not a moment of your life that you're not following Jesus, that you're not representing him. And let me just say this, look, if you're going to wear Christian apparel, if you're going to wear like verses on your shirt, or things that mark you out as a follower of Jesus, or you're going to put stickers on your car that mark you out, you would better be the friendliest, kindest, sweetest, most loving person on the face of the earth. Because when you ain't, you're ruining not only your reputation, but mine and Jesus's, okay? So if you're going to publicly, if you're going to publicly identify with Jesus, just make sure that you're doing it well. But whether or not you have those things, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are representing him all the time. Every moment of every day with every person, which is why it is vital that we grow into the image of Jesus. It's vital that we become more like Jesus in every way so that when we're out there representing him, people don't see us, they see him. That's why we're here. And that's why God has called me to my work. It's why he's called all of these five roles to our work. Our work is to help you figure out how to represent Jesus best with your particular mix of gifts and culture and personality and the way that God has called you. And so we're none, nobody's off the hook. We are all working for Jesus all the time if we are his followers. Now, Why? Well, first, first let me, let's break this down, okay? He calls us to equip the saints for the work, first, to grow in knowledge and faith. In this, in this verse, it doesn't come through in the English, but in the Greek, you see, there are three into's here. Until we all reach unity into the faith and knowledge of God's Son, into maturity, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, there's another into there that isn't translated in, in Greek. And so what we get here is these three purposes for equipping. We, our purpose is to help you grow in knowledge and faith, to grow in maturity into the fullness of Jesus, and into Christ-likeness, into being more like Jesus. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to equip you to do, to help you learn and grow in your knowledge and faith of Jesus into maturity and into Christ-likeness, becoming more like Jesus. And as we do this, then, we grow in unity. 
So those are the two purposes for which Jesus gave these gifts to the church. One was to equip the saints, to equip you to do the work of ministry, to do the work of a follower of Jesus, and secondly, to bind us together in unity as Christ's followers. There's a lot of talk of unity today. And I'll tell you what, I think as I hear people talk about unity and disunity, man, so much of it is just so empty. Because almost all the time when someone decries the disunity of the world, what they really just mean is, why can't those people agree with me? All too often, when we talk about disunity in the world, why can't we just be more unified? And then someone says something that you disagree with, and you're like, well, that's why. They don't agree with me. If you'd all just agree with me, then we could be unified. That's not what unity is. And so what Paul is doing here is he's, he's shifting the focus from the things that the Ephesians were allowing to disunify them to the thing that would actually bring them unity. What he's saying to them is, look, you come from this diverse background of cultures and, and the diverse families and diverse groups, diverse ethnicities. You come from all over the place, and you're letting these other, these secondary things disunify you, disunite you. But I'm here telling you, if you will pursue Christ and you'll pursue being like Jesus and you'll pursue the gifting that he has given you, then you will unify around the only thing that ultimately matters. We can disagree on all this other stuff, but as long as we are aligned with Jesus and aligned with pursuing Jesus and following him above all things, then all of those other things we can work out. All those other things we can deal with, but they had better not disunify us if we are focused on Jesus. That's one of the things I love about this congregation that drew me to this church was when I first began to visit, it was very clear, very quickly, that we had a broad array of ideologies within the church. We had people on every political spectrum unified here around Jesus. We had people who desperately cared for the poor and for the lonely. We had people who desperately cared for our community who nevertheless disagreed about politics and policy, who disagreed on all kinds of other fronts. But you were unified around Jesus. And I said, that's a place I can serve. That's a place we can be. That's a place our family can thrive. Because we know that these secondary things aren't going to lead to disunity. We've been able to navigate this this COVID mess for the past year and a half because we don't have those political arguments within the church. We've had people who have said, you know what, we're going to do what we do out of love for Jesus and out of love for neighbor. And I might not agree with it, but that's why we're doing it. And as long as that's the reason, I'm down. And we've been able to maintain unity through that. I love this community for that very reason that we're able to unite around Jesus. And the more that we grow in the image of Jesus individually, the more we become like Jesus as individuals, the more united we will be as a family, as a team. But we need everybody to give. We need everybody to serve. We need everybody willing to step in to the role that God is calling them to, to step into the gifting that the Holy Spirit has given them. We need everybody to be equipped for the ministry if we're going to be an effective team for Jesus in our community, if we're going to represent him well. It cannot rest on the shoulders of one or two or five or ten people. It has to rest on the shoulders of every single person who calls themselves a part of this family. 
And that doesn't mean you have to spend every moment here at the church. I'd rather you not. But it means we all have to be committed to representing Jesus faithfully in whatever realm of life we're in at the moment. Not Christ's community, not Pastor Brandon, not the council of the church, Jesus. We all have to be committed to representing Jesus faithfully in every sphere of life in order for us to be a unified body that seeks the good of our community, that really does pursue wholeness and healing for our neighbors, that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we are united in Christ, our diversity on all the other issues will be one of our greatest strengths. When we are united in Jesus, then the fact that we have that ideological diversity or ethnic diversity or cultural diversity, all those other diverse aspects of who we are as a family will be one of our greatest strengths because people from a world that is deeply divided in every possible way will look at this community and go, wait a minute, that shouldn't work. That's what they did in the early church. That's what drew people into the early church. In these early church gatherings, you had people from every kind of background, normally who didn't associate with one another, bound together by Jesus. And people looked in at that diverse community, looked in at a community that that empowered the powerless, that loved the loveless, that cared for the lonely, that gave homes to babies who had been discarded, who loved their community. People looked into that community from the outside and said, wait a minute, I want that. And then they found out it was Jesus that united people. It was Jesus who pulled us together. It was him who defined us. When we are united in Jesus, our diversity becomes one of our greatest strengths. And when we are on mission together, everybody doing their part, everybody serving the way that God has equipped them to, we will feel that sense of community and that sense of bonding as a family and as a team in a way that we can't when we're just trying to do it ourselves or when we're just consumers who come to get our spiritual fix and then go on with our lives. We need everybody on mission serving Jesus in the way that God has equipped you and only you to do it. And we as your church leadership, I as your pastor, want to help you pursue that. Want to help you figure that out. We want to walk with you. Walk alongside and say, how has God equipped you? How has God made you to serve him, to love one another? We need people who are willing to pray for other people, who are willing to visit other people, who are willing to make a meal for someone who needs it. We need people who are willing to tutor kids through whiz kids or come and show a movie for the community and just talk to people. We need people who are going to walk the community and pray for our neighbors. We need people who are going to go door to door and say, hey, how you doing, and just get to know their neighbors. We need church members who are not content to not know the people who live next door and two doors down from them but are committed to loving their community where they are. We need church members who will run technology stuff, who will do social media stuff. We need church members who will walk alongside and put their arm around someone who's struggling. We need people who are gifted with generosity. I have benefited from a couple members here who are gifted with generosity and have the means to do it, and I am so grateful. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, I can't get out and do a lot, but I've got money to give. I've got prayers to give. I've got these other tangible and intangible ways to give. Whatever it is, however God has gifted you, this is not a guilt trip. This is not to shame us, but it's to motivate us to use what we have to glorify Jesus in every way. 
And it's to say, like I said before, that none of you is worthless. None of us is worthless. None of us has nothing to bring. But everybody has gifts from God that they can use. No matter who you are. And God will use them. If you want a sense of community, if you want to grow in in this family, if you want to get to know and care for one another more deeply, the greatest way is to serve. To serve with one another. And if you don't know how, if you don't know how you're gifted, if you don't know what God is calling you to, I want to have a conversation with you about that. I want to have coffee with you. And so I'm going to call an audible right now. Next week, next Sunday after service, in lieu of a Sunday school or any other gathering, if you are interested in serving, but you're like, I just don't know how. If you're interested in learning how to serve Jesus as you're made with the gifts that you have, we're going to gather over here in the Pike Speak room right after service, and we're just going to have a conversation about that. We're going to get to know one another. I'm going to share with you some ways that you can discover how God has made you, how God has gifted you to serve. And we're going to figure out how to plug you in, whether it's here at Christ Community or with some organization that's repping Jesus well or just by loving and caring for the neighbors right around you. We're going to figure out how God has made you to love and serve and equip you. Because if we're not doing that, we're failing as a church. I'm failing as a pastor. So just put that on your calendar, okay? Next week, if you're interested, Right after the service, come and join me in the Pikes Peak room right down the hall, and we're going to talk about how God has gifted you, how God has created you, how you can serve Christ's body and serve your community with the good news of Jesus. Because it's he who's called us together. It's he who has made us who we are. And it's for his sake that we do what we do. Not out of legalism, not because in serving we get some greater gifts, Not because we have to earn our salvation. Because fundamentally, the best news of all is that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, and no matter what your level of engagement with the church is right now, you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven in him and you are a child of God. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.